Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 319 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, man? I'm good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. Always good when speaking with you. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. Uh, then we will have our sole guest. It's going to be Bradley Skeet, former British champion at welterweight. And then, of course, in part two, the news and the preview part. Then that will be about it. Let's start, like I say, with the review part. It took place at the SNHU. I think it's SNOO. Or I'm not sure how it's said. It's an arena in Manchester, New Hampshire, USA, over here. Um, let's start with the undercard. Julio Cesar Martinez, 18-1. and one. He got in with McWilliams Arroyo, 21-4. and four. And no contest after three rounds there. Um, he was winning the fight, Martinez. It was a no contest because Arroyo uh, couldn't continue after an accidental head clash. He said he couldn't see. Martinez down in the first round and Arroyo down in the first round. Arroyo as well. Um, down in the second round. A crazy fight, obviously, for Martinez's WBC flyweight world title. Um, shocked to see Martinez down and in some bother, really. But then, um, you know, he got back up. Um, I, I think it was a left hook that put him down. He got back up and, um, you know, Arroyo, I felt, got a little bit too excited, got a little bit too aggressive from that point, and he got he got, he got got caught himself with a left hook, and he was down, and it was, a, it was a, you know, he got dropped hard. The bell went as he got up. He didn't have to take another shot. Then, obviously, the cut happened in the second round, and he's down again in the second round, Arroyo, and like we say, at the end of that second round, Arroyo said he couldn't see um, so yeah, no contest, though it goes down as a third round, no contest for some reason, but I'm not sure, I, I don't want to say he was looking for a way out of the fight, it's hard to tell, you, you don't really know, you, you, you know, you can look at a cut and you can determine how bad a cut is, but you don't really know about an injury, an eye injury as well, you don't know if he can or can't see, if his, if his vision's blurred, you can't see these kinds of things, but, um, for me, I, f I think it did kind of look like he was looking for a way out. I hope I'm wrong, but um, you know he's a tough guy. He's known for that. He's he's been around the block, and um, yeah, it's another no contest there for Julio Cesar Martinez. Um, on the undercard, once again, Murajon Akhmadaliev now 10 and 0, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Jose Velasquez, who's now 29 and 7 with two draws. That one was for the WBA and IBF World Super Bantamweight titles. It's good to see. Um, a super bantamweight world champion, Murajon Akhmadaliev, who holds two of the four belts. It's good to see him fighting a week prior to the other two belts being contested, which we'll get to in the preview part of the show between Brandon Figueroa and Stephen Fulton. Um, so it's good to see all the belts being contested for within seven days. We want to see the big fight for all of the belts in 2022. 
Um, Murajan Akmadaliev got in the distance there the first time he'd gone 12 rounds against a very tough Velasquez who took a lot of big shots throughout the fight and also returned with his own. Um, he had some moments in the fight, Velasquez, who I think was a late replacement as well for Akmadaliev. Um, but yeah, I actually wrote on Twitter before the fight that there's three things that you can bet on this weekend and... I'm not saying they're going to happen, but I think they're very likely. And Murajan Akhmedaliev to win on points was a really unpopular pick, but it came in here. Um, I don't think anyone listened to me, but, you know, it is what it is. A, you know, a, a good a good win for Akhmedaliev, all being said. Um, elsewhere on that card, we had uh, Callie Reese win a split decision over 10 two-minute rounds against Jessica Kamara. Kamara now 8-3 for the WBA, vacant WBO and IBO female super lightweight titles. Um, Callie Reese, for me, I don't think she won the fight, to be honest with you. I think that Jessica Kamara won the fight. Um, I think she landed the better shots. Uh, Callie Reese, very under-impressive, you know, I think that this little tournament that they're doing at Super Lightweight between, obviously, there was four girls to start with, Jessica Kamara, um, Chantel Cameron, Mary McGee, and Callie Reese, or I think it said, um, I think it's, is it Kylie or Kaylee Reese, I think it's actually said, so I've been saying it wrong the whole time, but anyways, the, the two ladies that fought in the first fight, Chantel Cameron and Mary McGee, I think they were the two better uh, of, of the four, the two better ones, so unfortunately, uh, that would have been a great final, but that was the first fight, so obviously M Mary McGee's out of it, uh, Jessica Kamara is now out of it, and the final will be between Chantel Cameron and uh, Kaylee Reese, um, Chantel Cameron was sat ringside, I think her style, Kaylee Reese's style, is tailor-made for Chantel Cameron, even though Kamara didn't win the fight, and it was close, you know, it could have gone either way, I'm not saying she won clearly, it was close, um, but, you know, I actually think that Reese's style is is much easier for Cameron, and I think she's actually going to stop Kay uh, Kaylee Reese. We shall see though, it's brilliant to see this buzz around women's boxing at the minute, it's like almost every week there's a good women's fight, and this was another good fight, um, I feel for Jessica Kamara, who, you know, doesn't really get anything, you know, she was the dark horse in this four female uh, tournament and she deserved better than what she got there she did but you know one judge did give it to her um, but yeah it, it didn't go her way in the end a little bit gutted for her um, maybe she should fight Mary McGee you know both of them need a win that'd be that'd be a nice fight I like the sound of that um, anyway elsewhere on the card Australia's very own Dempsey McKean moved to 20 and 0 a TKO in round six against Don Hainsworth who's now 16 and 8 with a draw. He either knocks you out or gets knocked out. Don Hainsworth and he got knocked out here as predicted. And of course, the main event, Demetrius Andrade now 31 and 0, a TKO in round two against Jason Quigley of Ireland, now 19 and 2, a defense there for Andrade's WBO middleweight world title. Um, completely as as we said, to be honest with you. Um, he was so overmatched quickly. He was down in the first round. He seemed to me to be waiting too long right in front of Andrade and obviously down twice in the second round. The first was a big left hand that um, Andrade threw from his waist and the second was just a barrage of shots. Down he went, like we say, for the third time and the referee, Arthur McCante Jr., waved it off. Um, not many times do we predict an Andrade knockout you know, and we we predicted that here, and he did it, like we say, in two rounds. It speaks volumes about uh, about that, though, the fact that we said he's going to probably knock this guy out. I don't think we probably saw it come in that early, 
but um, I had a bet on it to go that early for him to knock him out that early. I, I can't say I was overly shocked. Um, good performance from Andre Eddie. Yeah, he's you know he did what we expected him to do, get him out of there. Obviously, I think the fight plan he had with Quigley can't be the same when he fights you know more elite level guy. Quigley being tough and you know proud and wanting to go out on the field and, and not so much go out on the field but wanting to win and being uh, the kind of guy that would go out there and try. It, it was a commendable effort and you know to be in there, but reality is you know no disrespect to him, but he's just not on that level. Um, I like some of the things that Andre did, but I also didn't like some of them too. I think a lot of what he was doing was based on the opponent. I feel like you have to fight, not necessarily just based on the opponent though, because sometimes you'll get in there with a guy who you expect to beat, but has a style that's a little weird for you, a little uncomfortable for you. And therefore you got to go back to doing what's going to be successful. You know what I mean? Over the course of a 12 round fight. I think he went in there with the idea of just, I'm going to bomb this guy out. And I'm going to throw big shots from the onset. And, you know, he seemed like he was being a little patient early on, but he was throwing some fat shots at him, and he was throwing too little bit. Some of these shots were just a little bit too much for me. You know what I mean? I like. I would have liked to have seen him do, you know, a little more conventionally throw some shots. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was the, it was the recipe that was going to win. But then again, I feel like he could have done anything, not anything, but anything within within reason of his ability, and he would have been able to come out on top. Uh, you know, in a spectacular, spectacular uh, fashion. The only gripe about it was, you know, I would like, I would like to see him be. Um, obviously, when I say I would like to see him do some different things, uh, in there with a better opponent. So if that's, that's the only gripe I have. I mean, I think he, I think he's, he's a fantastic fighter. He's one of the best out there. But every, not everybody's going to be Jason Quigley, and that's no disrespect to him, but that's just the facts. And um, I would. Like I said, I like to see uh, something a little more tactical, a little more careful, a little smarter. You know what I mean? Of course, you're supposed to get your guy out of there immediately. You don't get paid for overtime, but just a little bit, a little bit more, uh, you know, a little more thought behind it. I, I, and then, then that's just for me watching it. I mean, I, he, I, I could tell by the way he did it, the way he went out there, that he knew this was a fight that was only going to be a round or two. Look, he's a professional. He's he's one of the top guys out there. There's no doubt about it. Like I said before, but um, obviously he's gonna once he steps up. Once the competition is, you know, obviously uh, more dangerous, he's not gonna fight the same kind of fight. So, and in my opinion, if I had only one thing to gripe about, it would be just, I would say, fight as you would be fighting a world champion. And if you get him out of there, great. Which we expected that to happen anyway. But hey, look. I can't say much. You know, he, he he did what he was supposed to do and got him out of there. So, good performance. If, if I have one gripe, it was that one. That was it. Yeah, and I think that I, I I believe Jason Quigley had his jaw broken in the first round as well, which we should mention. Um, yeah, good performance from Andrade. Um, and since then, I think Andrade has got his team or whatever to write to the WBC and try and get them to uh, make him. Um, I think it's Jamal Charlo's mandatory to try and force that fight. That's a fight we'd love to see. Moving on, though, to the universe and the universum gym in Hamburg, Germany. 
Over here, we saw Zan Kosobutsky move to 17-0 TKO in round 5 against the previously undefeated 11-0 Alexis Garcia. Um, that one was for the vacant WBC International Silver Heavyweight title. On the undercard, we had Jeremias Ponce, now 29-0, the guy that beat Lewis Ritson. He got a a KO in the uh, second round against Michel Marcano, who's now 22 and 5 with a draw. Um, Jose Lardu as well, he was on the undercard, 7 and 0 now, a KO in round 2 against Leandro Rabuti. That one was for the vacant WBC Latino heavyweight title. Lardu is a Cuban fighter, Cuban heavyweight. And also, Avni Yildirim, 24 and 4 now, a unanimous decision over 10 against Yusuf Kangal, who's now 20 and 5 with a draw. Uh, that's it for Germany. Moving out now to Ukraine at the ACO International in Kiev. We saw Artem Delakian return to the ring after a long layoff. He successfully defended his WBA flyweight world title with a TKO in round 9 against Luis Concepcion, who is now 39-9. and And moving out now to the Wembley Arena in Wembley, London. Over here, um, let's start with, I think... I'm not sure it was the main event. I don't think it was. Jose Aberton now 26-3. and three, A TKO loss in round 7 against Dan Aziz, who's now 15-0. Tyson Fury, the cousin of, of, of Jose Aberton, was sat ringside cheering him on, but it wasn't enough. He, like I say, was stopped. It was for the vacant British light heavyweight title. Um, to be honest with you, Dan Aziz wiped the floor with Jose Aberton. He absolutely battered him and blooded him, um, you know, Every every round, really, and like I say, I I actually think that Jose Burton should consider hanging him up now. It just doesn't seem like he's gonna get to any significant level. When I say significant, I mean that respectfully. You know, he, he boxed obviously for a British title. I think he was British champion before he lost to Frank Buglioni, but something's missing. He he doesn't seem the same fighter he once was, and um. Yeah, Dan Aziz, I mean, credit to him, full credit to him. It's a good name for his record there. It's a good name for his for his resume and his, you know, his um, legacy and all the rest of that. But there's some huge fights that can be made domestically. I know Craig Spider-Richards was ringside. What a fight that would be. Um, there's a lot of guys as well that are just underneath that level. But our British kind of level, you know, he he's right up there with the best that we've got, um, you know, domestically. Elsewhere on the card, Richard Riakpour now 13 and oh, a TKO in round five against a very awful Olin Rawaju Duradola now 36 and nine. Um, he didn't even throw a right hand upstairs, Duradola. Every right hand he threw was to the body, and he seemed to be reaching every time. Riakpour was very patient and took him out, like I say, in round five. He didn't even seem like he tried. I know he's 42 or something now. It was for the vacant WBC Silver Cruiserweight title. Poor performance. Um, elsewhere, um, we had on the undercard, Florian Marku moved to 10-0 with a draw. A points win over 8 against Joe Rick Luisetto, now 11-3. Mikel Lawal with a win as well. He's 15-0 now. A TKO in round 5 against Leandro Bruzzesi, who's now 20-7. Natasha Jonas, a late addition to the card. This is another pick of mine. Those three picks, I, I said that... Um, Akhmadaliev would win on points. I picked that Duradola could win by knockout against Richard Riakpo. That didn't come close to happening. And Natasha Jonas to win on points against Vader Masio Kate. The reason I said that was because Vader Masio Kate, you know, her record was 2 and 11 with four draws. She'd only been knocked out once in the 11, and it was to, to Chantel Cameron, who stops a lot of girls. Um, 
and obviously Natasha Jonas is a lot smaller than Chantel Cameron and yeah you know just because Chantel Cameron knocked someone out and 10 other girls didn't I didn't think Jonas would despite Jonas being a little bit of a puncher but yeah I thought that would go to points and it did over six two minute rounds there Natasha Jonas now 10 and 2 with a draw um yeah, that's about it there. Moving out now to the Manual R-Time Community Center Theatre in Miami, Florida. Over here, Uniel Daltercost now 25-2, and two, a TKO in round two against Jesse Bryan, the American who um, I, I think I said on last week's show that he was like a heavyweight or something like that. I got that awfully wrong. I think he was really about like a middleweight or a super middleweight or something he wound up fighting at cruiserweight here at one point in his career he took about seven uh or seven eight nine years out of the ring and yeah i think he was on a win streak after coming back but he's he's lost there in in round two against daughter a horrific mismatch really daughter one of the best cruiserweights that we that we have on the on the, on the entire um in the world, I should say. I'm not sure where I was going with that. Moving out now to the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. This one, of course, the final card to mention. On the undercard, we had wins for Isaac Dogbay, now 23-2. and A majority decision over 10 against Christopher Diaz, now 26-4. and That one was for the NABF featherweight title. Um, Isaac Dogbay, I have to still continue to say this, has not looked the same fighter since moving from 122 to 126. He's too small really for 126. It's been said by everyone and he hasn't been as impressive. I mean, this guy once upon a time knocked out Jesse Magdaleno for the world title. Those two fights he had against um, Emmanuel Navarrete, I'm wondering, I'm starting to wonder if they took a significant chunk out of him because since those fights he hasn't looked the same and he's had a couple close fights in a row now um yeah close one again against christopher diaz a lot of people felt he did enough to win also on the card zanibek alim kanuli now 11 and 0 a tko in round eight against a very very tough hassan and dam former world champion friend of the show the frenchman is now 38 and 6 that one was for the wbc continental americas and the wbo global middle weight titles Hassam and Dam down in round three um sad for him uh, but I think the writing was on the wall really it was a bit of a mismatch and Esquiva Falcao with a win now 29 and oh a technical decision after six rounds against Patrice Volney who was previously undefeated 16 and 0 now 16 and 1 um very close as well on the cards. One judge actually had it to Volney, and the other two judges had it narrowly to Falcao. So that one, uh, mm, that's a bit of a bad look, really, for Falcao, who I was tipping as, uh, he's not young, but, you know, quite a good prospect, dare I say that. Quite a good contender, perhaps. And the main event, Terence Bud Crawford, now 38-0. A TKO in round 10 against Sean Porter, now 31-4 with a draw. Porter down twice in the 10th round. It was for the WBO welterweight world title. My um, my take on this fight here, I'm just going to run through it. Um, the first round I gave to Sean Porter, I liked the feints, and who knew that he could faint? I'd never seen him do that before in his in his boxing career. Um, I liked how he was able to put Crawford on the back foot a little bit. He actually boxed and did well, boxing arguably the, 
you know the best pound for pound boxer he was boxing and it was it was working weirdly a uh, great start for Sean Porter round two was a really really close round both men had good moments particularly Crawford he landed a lovely power jab that for me wobbled Porter just a tiny bit and Porter um, did also get through with a clean right hand of his own which made Bud look at the ref for some reason I felt that round could have gone either way I think most people gave it to Porter it was a really exciting fight though after just two rounds round three Porter was cut by his right eye it was a head clash but I gave that round to Crawford again both guys had moments um I didn't like some of the some of the uh, kidology of Crawford I didn't think it was very respectful considering both guys were friends but you know it's all part of it I guess Crawford I gave round four as well um, Porter was getting counted a lot when he was trying to get on the inside of Crawford he was lunging he was walking into left hands from Crawford and Crawford was picking his shots well I liked his level changing his awkward stance um, round five I gave to Porter he got through with some nice shots hooks on the inside stuff like that he backed Crawford up a few times he had him on the ropes I'm not sure how much was landing at times um, when Crawford had the high guard, but still, I felt that he did enough to win the round, Sean Porter. Round six, another head clash. This time, Crawford was cut on his eyebrow. I felt that Porter, in the first five rounds, didn't really have that typical intensity that he always seems to bring. I wondered if maybe Porter perhaps didn't quite have the same intensity of pressure that he once possessed, but then he let it all out in round six. Interesting tactics to try and change things up at the midway point. I gave that one to Sean Porter, that, that sixth round. Um... Round 7, a Crawford round for me, got back to his boxing a little bit, he showed less of his willingness to, to stand and trade as he did in previous rounds, and Porter again was getting countered coming in. Um, round 8, an amazing start to the round for Crawford, who was able to get a barrage of punches off and get in and out a couple of times, measuring the distance perfectly and using his reach advantage. Porter did land a bomb of a right hand though on Crawford, and Crawford took it well, but it looked like, might have just put a slight dent in him for a second, but again, I gave that round to Crawford overall round nine a Crawford round I felt his boxing was really clever I felt he probably got hit the least amount of times in that round um, compared to all the other previous rounds and then of course round 10 down goes Porter early on in the round another example of what I said earlier he was getting caught coming in he walked into a left uppercut down he went I didn't think he was really hurt or anything. Um, he got back up. Then, of course, later in the round, he goes down again. This time, he, he walked into a into a right hand. He kind of ducked down and got caught on the temple with a couple of shots. Um, not even necessarily clean shots. He just kind of got punched down, really. And he banged the canvas in anger. He didn't seem hurt again or anything, to be honest. He got back up, and then his father, Kenny Porter, stopped the fight. Um, a little bit of a weird one, considering it had been a really close fight up until that round. But, um, yeah, Porter, at least on my card, would have needed a stoppage. I, I did have it... Um, after that round, he would have needed a stoppage, I should say, because that would have been a 10-7 round. So from that second knockdown, I think he needed a knockout there. Um, weird decision, though, to stop the fight. And, of course, after the fight, he's decided to announce his retirement from boxing. Um, before I come to you, Eddie, I just want to start by saying, obviously, what did you make of the fight? And also, what did you make of the stoppage? And also, do you think it was the right time for Sean Porter to retire? The, the stoppage, to be honest, I was a little surprised at. I mean, I saw his dad on the ring, ring apron, and it kind of it just surprised me in general just to see him up there because I didn't I didn't think that honestly as good as Terence Crawford is, and you know, it, as much as you would you could expect, you know, a guy who's 
as good as him to be able to do anything, you know what I mean, possibly stop anyone. I just didn't think it would happen with Sean Porter. I had no idea that that was going to happen. Even when he went down twice, it didn't look like he was completely out of it. It just looked like he was frustrated and like he almost couldn't believe it. He's like, I'm down again. Damn. You know what I mean? Pounding on the canvas and then to see his dad come up and stop it. That kind of was just like, oh, dang, I wonder why he stopped it so quick. But maybe he knew something that I didn't. I could see that Sean was a little hurt because you could see like at the replay when they slowed it down a little bit, even not even slowing it down, you could see him like as he was come, as he was getting up, his he wasn't a hundred percent steady. It took him a little bit of time to get to his feet, and you know, and that was also probably part of him trying to like pound it out too. You know what I mean? Him pound, he, he was, it was frustration, and I'm always obviously probably trying to get it, get his head together. But then once he gets up, he turns around, sees his dad on the ring apron. I could just, I could just imagine how he felt in that, just never expecting to get stopped. No one ever like, like at our level at that point ever really expects to get stopped and for it to happen is just like ugh. and um but um, before i get to his retirement i just gotta say i really did not like what kenny porter did in the post fight interview and his ex- explanation of why he stopped the fight it just remember it just reminded me so much of my dad as much as i love my dad and you know he did a lot of good things for me and he got me to a hell of a, a hell of a point in my career and, you know, thank him for even getting me into the sport of boxing. But it just reminded me so much of that. And it's just like, it's almost like using his son as a scapegoat to kind of say, oh, well, it's his fault. You know what I mean? He lost. Not we lost. He lost. He he should have been doing what I told him. You know what I mean? If he would have listened to me, we would have won. Instead of just saying, look, Terrence Crawford's a great fighter. We were in, We did the best we could in camp. We got into the best shape we've ever been in. He just was the better man tonight. But he had to use his son as a scapegoat and like kind of just throw him on onto the bus and say, well, if Sean would have done what he's supposed to do and can't, maybe this wouldn't have happened. You know, he, he, if, he, you know, and he said, and they asked, why was you, were you surprised? And why would you stop it at that time? Well, I mean, I stopped it because I, if my son would have done what he was supposed to do in camp, you know, things might have been different. And it's just like, that just really turns it into something else. And really, that even kind of takes a little bit of the win away from Terrence Crawford trying to say that Sean Porter wasn't his best self in there. It's just really, really not fair. You understand what I'm saying? To the fighter and and, and what he's gone through in camp to prepare for that. And then to get in there and fight a hell of a fight up to the point of, the st- of getting stopped and then to decide, kind of be slapped in the face. That kind of bothered me a little bit. It kind of, like I said, it reminded me of something my dad might have said. Maybe not necessarily on, with cameras on him, but he would have said it nevertheless to somebody that could hear it. And he even said it one time, I think, I've, when I fought on HBO, you can hear him say, you know, not to be too graphic with the language, but I got to say it like he said it, fuck that basketball, that swimming, and all that crap that you want to do, and we need to get back to the basics type stuff. And he said it where the cameras and everything and, and, and the sound people were able to pick up what he said. So everybody heard it. So it just kind of reminded me of that, and it just really made me feel like, damn. Sometimes when you think of father-son relationships and, you know, when you're talking about training, it's hard for fathers to allow their sons to be their own man sometimes. 
You know what I'm saying? And do what they feel is best because they always feel like, well, I got your best interest at heart. You know, I'm the one that was there when nobody else was and blah, blah, blah. And not allow them to just grow up and be their own person. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and my brother, you know, and Steve knows Sean even more than I do. He spent more time with them, with, with him and uh, Kenny Porter. And he could just, different things that, has ha- that have happened over time. He was explaining to me like, man, sometimes he was looking at him like, oh, why are you letting him do this? And Sean would just kind of laugh it off. And it's like when, when that happens over time, over years, they don't care where they're at. They'll go on TV and make you look bad. You know what I'm saying? Because that's how they feel the situation was. They don't think that they did anything wrong. They think that that's okay. And it's not. And that's why sometimes father-son relationships are really difficult and why they sometimes don't work and we end up splitting. You know what I'm saying? But, um, and to go to his retirement, and they said, I think, Joey, you told me that they he said he was possibly going to do this whether uh, he won or lost anyway, which... Is a little bit, I don't know, to me. I mean, I, I sometimes you look at retirement after a, a fight and with, when a guy loses and says, you know, it's an emotional decision that he made. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, there was a time that I was going to retire. I was going to say I was going to retire, especially after the South Af- African fight with Machuna when I fought him. Um, I was thinking about, oh, man, if I can't beat that kid, I'm retiring type thing. And sometimes you make emotional decisions following losses and fights that you know you feel like if I can't do it if I can't do it at this level what's the point I don't know if that's what Sean did I don't know if you know if he should have announced his retirement that soon after I think maybe he should have waited a few a little while you know before he actually announced it but then saying oh well if he did say this I don't know I didn't actually hear him uh well I was gonna retire whether I won or lost I just don't know about that um I would be I wouldn't be surprised to hear in a few years or a year him saying he wants to come back but you know it's, it's unfortunate I mean I hated to see him go down the way he did because I thought he was definitely gonna go and at least lose by decision but I, I thought he was still in the fight so it's just unfortunate but um he's a great fighter he had a great career and you know hopefully he gets uh consider consideration and you know you know going to some form of a hall of fame somewhere but he's uh, he's definitely done a lot of great things in boxing, and he's been a a, a warrior his whole career. So I'm just uh, privileged to have met him and seen him fight. So it's a good situation. Hopefully, and 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 obviously Terence Crawford is one of the best in the world. So we'll see him and things to come. Yeah, we shall. Um, I feel like it's not the end of the road for Sean Porter. That's just my gut feeling. And also, someone else pointed out to me that immediately afterwards when they interviewed him in the ring, he did say that he wants to fight um, Terence Crawford again. That was his immediate right. um, response as yeah. well, which I think some people are forgetting. But another knockout win for Sean, uh, for, for Terence Crawford, still 100% KO um, percentage at welterweight, which is unbelievable. But anyway, that brings the review part to a close. The final thing for me to do is to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast ladies and gentlemen please welcome the former british welterweight champion it is of course mr bradley skeet brad welcome back on the show man i'm good i'm good how you been good to be back 
I've been fantastic, man. I'm great, uh, greatly pleased to have you back. Uh, we we last spoke back in October of 2018. It was just before the uh, the fight against Fernando Valencia. I remember joking with you at the time. I said that you tried to find the most Spanish-sounding name to beat after losing to <laughs> to Leharaga. Um, obviously you managed to get him out of there. You know, you were the first man to stop him. It was impressive. Um, since then, he's gone on, by the way, to lose 20 fights in a row. He's turned into a journeyman, but hasn't really been stopped much at all. I think only twice more. So that was, you know, that was a good win. After that, obviously, the shock loss to Ramirez. Um, I thought at that point, Brad, that you were finished, you know? I, I, I've yeah. got to be honest. Can you understand why people would think that way as well? Probably from, obviously, the loss to uh, Laraja and then, obviously, coming back, having that win and, that obviously, like you say, the shock defeat to uh, um, oh, what's Ramirez. Ramirez, sorry, yeah, to Ramirez, and uh, do you know what I mean? And it's rightly so. People did think I'd, I'd retired, and but that wasn't never the end of me. That that wasn't that wasn't me. The pe- like people, like, like I say, people looking in probably would think that because two two stoppage defeats. Do you know what I mean? Um, but it just it just wasn't me. Like. Listen, I'm. It's in the past now, but going back out in Spain to La Raja, that that just had a few personal issues going on at the time, and just it just wasn't me in there. Lost to the better guy, do you know what I mean? Like he he was a great champion and he was a great fighter, but um, it was it wasn't me in there. Um, and obviously coming back, getting that good win, and then the the Ramirez fight was just a shambles, to be honest. Um, not really said about it, but the show. Like was was cancelled and then it was on, then it was off, then it was on. I lost count of how many opponents I had. Change and it was going to be for a title. It wasn't going to be for a title. So the whole process and the whole build up was just a shambles. I didn't know if I was coming or going. And when I finally got an opponent and it was finally for a title, it, it was a week to go. Do you know what I mean? And at that stage, I was sick of boxing. Like just, I was sick of everything to be honest, I and mean, just the preparation just wasn't ideal, and I sh- shouldn't never even been in there. I, was, I, I was remember walking to the ring, and it just wasn't switched on one bit. And listen, I got in the ring, but like, like lost to the better guy in the night. Do you know what I mean? But he shouldn't be lacing up my boots, let alone stopping me. But I, I needed some time off, and I needed a break, and that's exactly what I've done. I did say I was retired, but. Going back to your question, I couldn't understand why people did think I was going to retire coming off of them two losses. Yeah, and and even just like, what else did you have to offer? I was kind of thinking that's got to be it. I mean, what can you do after losing to 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 um to the second guy in particular? Um, obviously, up until those two losses, in my head, you were still unbeaten. I've said it for years. I thought you beat Frankie yeah. Gavin. Uh, you'd gone yeah. through the British title scene like a hot knife through butter. Uh, you know, yeah. you, you were knocking on the on the door for a world title. Jeff Horn didn't want no part of you. Obviously, the no. loss to to um, Leharaga, then then to the Argentinian guy who no one really knew. Since then, obviously, as you say, you took time out two years and a, and a half. You come back. You've had that one fight, the stoppage against Dow Arrowsmith. Not many people yeah. stop him. So again, it's a bit impressive, but quite meaningless in terms of the grand yeah. scheme of things. Do you feel like you've got a lot to prove in this upcoming fight, Brad? A lot of you know, 100%. maybe some reminding for the fans. Hundred, uh, hit the nail on the head. Like like you say. Like people, I've I've read, I've seen it on on social media, on the internet. People 
are just discrediting me and, and brushing me off. Like, do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm nothing. They like, they really forget what I've been and done and what I'm about. Do you know what I mean? I'm a 34 year old man, grown man who's been in boxing a very long time. Like, I've been there, done it, got the t-shirt. And this is what's getting my back up. Like, I'm fighting. Listen, no disrespect to Hamza. I like him. I've said it. And there's no disrespect there, no bad about there. But I've got my back up and I'm going to show him and prove to people who's doubting me, like, don't ever, ever think or like think that of me that can use a scalp on my name. Like, he's a 22-year-old kid and had 13 fights. Do you know what I mean? Two years ago, they wouldn't even have dreamed of mentioning mine and his name together. Now that like, everyone's talking, like, do you know what I mean? He's going to do a job on me. No, no, no way. You, like, I've, I've, I've got a point to prove in this fight, and I'm showing everyone I'm back and, and what I'm about. Do you know what I mean? I've still got a future in boxing. I still want goals I need to achieve and want to achieve, do you know what I mean, and move on. I've moved up to Sheffield. I've sacrificed moving away from my family and friends and, and putting in the work up in Sheffield. I'm with a world-class coach in Dom. Um, surrounded by world-class fighters. Like if I wasn't serious, I wouldn't. I would have picked the easy route and and just stayed at home and had a 10-minute trip to the gym and been comfortable. Do you know what I mean? It's been it's been a a tough process, a long process, but I've got this opportunity now. And do you know what I mean? I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna show people what what I'm about. And the same people who's doubting me and and expecting me just to I don't know what expecting me what to do, but they're going to be the same people licking my ass after this fight when I smash his face in and, and show everyone, do you know what I mean, the work I've been putting in. You can take you can, you can can take the, the boy out of Penge, but not Penge out the boy, it sounds. I'm sick of it, to be honest. Like, yeah. People think I'm Mr. Nice Guy and all that, like, but like, it's, it's, do you know what I mean? It's got to me, people just discrediting and brushing my success and what I've done. Do you know what I mean? I've, I've been in boxing a very long time and I've achieved what people dream of. Do you know what I mean? And Absolutely. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. And just because I had a, a little break and some time off, people soon forget. Yeah, no, I understand. You sound hungrier than I've, than I've heard you speak for years. Um, yeah, I'm on it. Obviously, you know, you're the underdog. Do you understand why you're the underdog? Do you feel like you're rightfully the underdog? He's on a on a real high, and like you say, you haven't been seen for a while. You had those two losses. Yeah, listen, like like I say, I'm 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 not discrediting him and his career. He's 22. He's had 13 fights. Uh, he's he, he's he's unbeaten, and he's and he stopped a, a lot of them 13. Um, not too sure how many, but he stopped a lot of them 13, and people. Are, calling him the, the, the best uh, prospect in Britain and yeah. they're going to be knocking on the door going on to be, be, be world champion. And listen, I'm sure he will be, but not from from me. Like, his time will come, but this is too soon. They, whoever's picked this fight and agreed this fight has made a very, very big mistake. Um, like I say, he can fight. He's a, good, he's a good fighter. Yeah, I might be the underdog, but they're overlooking what I've I've done. Do you know what I mean? Look for his record. He hasn't boxed a name. Who's he's, who? I don't know who the biggest name he's got on his record, but that, whoever that is, they couldn't lace my boots. Do you know what I mean? How do you see this fight playing out, Brad? Obviously, you know, you were always tall for welterweight. You're up at 154 here. It's more so his weight naturally. Um, you're both yeah. listed as the same height. You're both pure boxers, really. Um, it is yeah. youth versus experience. Yeah, of course. It's, experience is key in this fight, and um, 
listen, he's big. He's very big for the weight, so he probably struggle. I'd, I'd say struggles to do the one fifty four um, weight category. Do you know what I mean? He's very big for the weight. He's young, so he's growing. So I, I, I believe that he, he he struggles for the weight. He's always you got to look and see. He's always in a sweatsuit and a sweat top or whatever training. That can't be right. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not ideal. Always, do you know what I mean? Training in, in sweat tops and that. Um, so that that obviously is going to play a part in this fight. Like I say, he's going to know he's in the fight. He, he's he's not boxed no one of my experience and my ability. He's going to know he's in the fight. I'm coming to win, and um, that that that's how I see it going. Do you know what I mean? And I was wondering as well, Brad, do you maybe need to be the underdog or have pressure on you to bring out the best in you? I know that that's a bit cliche, but you box great against Frankie Gavin. You box the best I've seen you box against Sam Eggington. Then, like I say, you absolutely steam through the domestic scene. You won the belt outright. I've just mentioned there five fights that you might have not been the underdog for all of them, but the pressure was on and you'd have been fully motivated for all of them, whereas the losses, respectfully, were to guys you probably thought you could beat with your eyes closed. Yeah. And um, and that that's exactly how I'm going into this fight. I've never been up for a fight so much as I have this one. I've, I'm I'm like say my back's up. Um, there's been comments made and that and what I don't appreciate. And uh, I've got a serious point to prove, and I can't wait to shut everyone up and just say, listen, I'm back. Remember who I am. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned the Ingle Gym. Uh, we've seen some fighters go there. It's worked out for them. Some others have gone there. It hasn't worked out so good. What's your experience been like? Because most of it isn't public knowledge. You've been there a good while now under Dominic. I haven't really yeah. heard much being in the media. I don't think many people uh, know how, you know, how, uh, I guess, comfortable the fit is for you. Yeah, no, I've, 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 it's ideal. Do you know what I mean? It's, it is. It, I've gelled with Dom and 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 the gym and the the, the style, the Ingle way is unbelievable, and I'm so happy. I'm I'm I've got a smile on my face going into the gym. I'm happy. I'm learning new things. Um, like I say, I, I'm I'm a happy fighter. I'm a very very happy fighter, and I'm glad I made the move up here and and and, and working with Dom now. Um, I had a run out in June. Like I say, it was to Dal Harrowsmith. Um. It, it 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 was just a run up. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to dis, uh, disrespect Dow. He's a very good fighter, a very tough fight. He didn't have to take the fight. He took he he stepped up and took the fight. But I dealt with him very very well. Do you know what I mean? And like you say, don't get stopped. And I got him out of there quite comfortably. And just so it's just showed a glimpse of what I've been doing in the gym. The switch hitting, the moving, the relaxed, and and that's my style anyway. So I've just added to it and more. Yeah, I cannot wait to see if the jab has come back. I said to you the other day, you had a world-class jab. When you were coming through the British scene, your jab was one of the best in the division, if not the best in the division. It was unbelievable. But then it, it seemed to go away for a, for a few fights. If it's come back, I can't wait to see it. Um <laughs> I, I want to say as well, obviously, as, as we said, you had to move from Penge to Sheffield. It's a long way away. Everything's different. What's it been like? Obviously, yeah. I'm guessing, yeah, you've had to completely move. And, um, you know, that's the way it's been through lockdown as well. Yeah, I've like I've moved, I've moved up to Sheffield. I live up here full time. I'm I'm based here now. And it, listen, it's, 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 it's work to me. I'm, I'm here and I'm putting in work. And I just eat, sleep and train. And... Um, but that's 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 the sacrifice I needed to make to be where I want to be, 
and get to where I want to get to. Um, like I say, if if it was just a, a, a thing of me coming back and just, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, just having a go, then I would have stayed at home and been around my home comforts and, and found a gym and been in a gym 10 minutes from my house. So, and it, that wasn't meant to, that, that wasn't never going to be the case. I, I decided to make a change and, and this has worked out ideal for me. I always believe things happen for a reason, bad and good. And I believe that the time off, the rest and the move to, 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 to Sheffield has, has been ideal. Well, I'm real pleased to hear that, man. And I just want to say before we wrap it up, Brad, if you've got any closing words just to the listeners, obviously it's been a while. You made your Box Hard podcast debut years ago. It's good to have you back on. I'm sure the listeners agree as well. Yeah, thank you. Just as always, thank you for the support. And to everyone, even in my time off, the, the, the support and, and all the love and the messages I received was unbelievable. And uh, yeah, I'm back now. I'm back and I can't wait to to put on a show and get that win and push on to, to bigger and better things. There we go. Listen, Brad, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my man. I'm happy to have you back in boxing. Cannot wait for the fight December 4th, and I'm sure we'll speak sometime after. Top man. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with a card that's been announced for... Um, it's going to be on... Yeah, January the 1st, Saturday, January the 1st. It's a PBC card featuring a bunch of heavyweights. We've got Luis Ortiz against Charles Martin as the main event. We've got Frank Sanchez against Carlos Negron. We've got the rematch between Jonathan Rice and Michael Polite Coffee, And we've got Gerald Washington taking on Demerezim. That's the Turkish fighter, I think, based in Germany, who lost his O to... Um, the Nigerian, uh, what's the Nigerian's name again, Eddie? Heavyweight, um, just lost to Frank Sanchez. God, what's his name again? Should I was just about to say his name. I can't. Now nah, that made me lose it. Oh my god! Uh, damn, he's just like yeah. Effie a Jaguar. Effie a Jaguar. There you go. There you go. So um, yeah, that that should be quite a good fight because Demarizan's quite good. Um. Jessica McCaskill signed a promotional deal with Matram. Again, she defends her undisputed titles against Victoria Bustos on uh, December 4th at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. On the undercard, Philip Hergovich, Montana Love, coming off that brilliant win against Ivan Baranchik. And Austin Amo Williams returns to the ring after... Uh, suffering some issues outside of the ring. Moving on now, though, to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here tomorrow night in Russia. Um, we've got Sergei Kuzmin, 15-2, and two, coming off those two losses in a row. The first one to Michael Hunter on points, the second one to Martin Bacoli on points. He takes on Igor Aldiao Macedo da Silva, who's 10-0 and 0 with 10 KOs from Brazil. Could be spicy up at heavyweight there. Um... Moving out now to the Moto Space Dubai Investment Park. Over here, we have on the card O'Hara Davies, 22-2, taking on Ishmael Barroso, 23-2. Uh, sorry, t- 23 and 3 with two draws. That one for the WBA Gold World Super Lightweight title. O'Hara Davies after winning that golden contract tournament. I'm not sure what's going on here, but he gets in with Barroso. It's a decent fight. Barroso's been, you know, in and around world level. Um who did he box? He boxed Crawler, didn't he? I think he also might have... Did he box uh, Kevin Mitchell as well, I believe? Um, 
On the undercard, we've got Rocky Fielding, 28 and 2, getting in with Emmanuel Danso, who's 32 and 6. That's over 10 there. We've got Badu Jack having a fight here, I believe, at Cruiserweight. He takes on Samuel Crossid, who's 11 and 1 with a draw. Um, Badu Jack, 24 and 3 with three draws. That's it for that one. Moving out now to the Bolton Whites Hotel. This one in Bolton, of course, on Friday night. Jack Massey, 18 and 1, in a good fight over 12 rounds against Bilal Lagoon who's 25 and 2 with two draws that one is for the vacant IBO cruiserweight world title um Bilal Lagoon I want to say I've definitely seen him fight before I just can't remember who it was against so bear with me while I check that out Bilal Lagoon I want to say from Belgium yep I'm right on that one he lost to Tommy McCarthy by a majority decision in his last fight back in August of 2020 um that's where I remember him from um, on the undercard, nothing really going on there. Moving out now to the Val Sports Arena in Cardiff. Over here, we have Akeem Ennis Brown, 14-1, coming off that loss to Sammy Maxwell. Very controversial one. He's in a 10-rounder against Daniel Comby, who's 9-4. That one for the vacant WBC International Super Lightweight title. Also on the card, Jay Harris, 18-2, friend of the show. Um, coming off, I think he's coming off that loss, actually, that shock loss he had. He's fighting here for the vacant WBA Intercontinental Light Flyweight title against the undefeated Hector Flores, who's 18-0 with four draws. Moving out now to the Holt Suite in Villa Park, Birmingham over here. Sam Gilly, friend of the show, 12-1. Um, he is fighting for the vacant English Super Welterweight title against Ivaldas Korsakas, who's 10-7 with three draws. Doesn't sound very English to me. All the best, though, to Sam Gilly. Um... Moving out now stateside for the final couple of cards we have here at the Park Theatre in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's going to be on Showtime. We have Brandon Figueroa, 22-0 with a draw, taking on Philadelphia's very own Stephen Fulton, 19-0 here for Brandon's WBC and Stephen Fulton's WBO World Super Bantamweight titles. Both guys friends of the show. It's going to be a brilliant fight. I love the fact that Stephen Fulton is you know, winning a world title and going straight for a unification in his, you know, in his first fight as champion. That shows what he's all about. When he when he was on this show a few weeks ago, he told me that the first thing he wants to do is become unified champion and then become undisputed champion. He wants to fight with Murajon Akhmadaliev. He tells me that the Figueroa fight is going to go exactly how he wants it to on the night. He tells me he's not bothered about where the fight takes place. In fact, after the fight is done and he probably flies back to Philly, that's when he's going to realise, oh my God, I fought in Vegas. How crazy is that? None of this is getting inside his head. He completely is focused on the task at hand. However, doesn't matter how focused you are. Brandon Figueroa is a guy that brings it every single time. He's never in a boring fight. He's used to wearing his opponents down and getting stoppages and it's going to be a brilliant, brilliant fight. I can't see a way that this fails to deliver in terms of entertainment and excitement. Um, you know, Stephen Fulton boxed um, for, you know, he, he beat the guy, I forgot his name for the title, Angelo Leo, he beat him for the title. He's a little bit one-dimensional, a little bit of a kind of, um, you know, a brawler, but a little bit one-dimensional. Brandon Figueroa is not. This is a whole nother challenge here. Um, it's a great fight. I know, Eddie, you're probably not too familiar with Brandon Figueroa as a fighter, but I'm telling you, it's going to be a great fight. Did you want to say any words on this? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I heard I heard about the kid. I heard he's pretty good. You know what I mean? I heard he's really good, actually. And um, I've been knowing Scooter since he was a little kid. You know, since the days of him being in Shepherd's Gym and then on up to when he was in uh, Shooters. He's always been an impressive young guy. He's been good. He's a good kid. He was always uh, always around the gym, always training. So he has a great deal of uh, experience, you know, amateur experience going into even pro experience. He's been, with, been in with a lot of good competition and sparring and things in general. I feel like he should be okay on the night. But, I mean, I hear this kid is going to be a whole challenge for him. It ain't going to be nothing that that he's he's experienced uh, previous. So, um I'm I'm looking I'm just looking forward to it and I'm just hoping uh, Scooter well let's let him I'm gonna call him Stephen Fulton now I ain't gonna try to bring up those old names when he was a little kid <laughs> but I'm just hoping that he can uh, you know deliver and get it done on the night. We shall see. It should be a good one. May the best man win. Um, on the undercard we've got Risa Lim, eighteen and zero, getting in with Eduardo Baez, who's twenty and one with two draws. We've got Gary Antonio Russell, friend of the show, eighteen and zero in a ten rounder against Alexandro Santiago, very experienced fighter despite only being young. He's only twenty five, five foot two and a half in height. Um, obviously down there at at um at bantamweight, I believe the fight's at. Um. But he's very experienced, like I say, and a very, very tough Mexican. Obviously, has the two losses. They were very early on in his career. In fact, they, they were both in six rounders. One was a split decision, and one was a unanimous one um, back in 2013. He hasn't lost a fight for seven years. In that time, he's drawn with a number of decent fighters. Antonio Nieves, Jose Martinez, both undefeated fighters. He drew again in the rematch with Jose Martinez. He drew for the world title again. Against Jerwin and Cajas, a split decision. That is a hard thing to do. Since then, he's been on a win streak and he's been knocking people out in most of those wins. It's a real good fight here for Gary Antonio Russell, who, if he's anything like his brother, um, he's, he's one of his many brother brothers called Gary. I'm talking about Gary Russell Jr. If he's anything like him, he needs to do a job on this guy here, and he can't he can't really afford to perform how he did in the last fight, where he wasn't that impressive. But then I think he's one of his brothers passed away that same week, so you know we can mm. forgive him for that. It was awful. Uh, moving out now to the Madison Square Garden Theatre. This one is big as well. It's going to be on the zone on the undercard. We've got Britain's very own Ramla Ali, three and zero. She's in a four-two minute contest against one and zero Isela Vera. Um, there's a two women's fight on the fights on the card. We've got Reshat Matty, 11 and 0 in a 10 rounder against Nicholas De Mario, who's 15 and 5 with three draws. We've got Raymond Ford, one of the one of the best pro- prospects probably in the in the United States, 9 and 0 with a draw in a 10 rounder against Felix Caraballo, 13 and 3 with two draws. That's for the WBA Continental Featherweight title. We've got Zili Zhang, the Southpaw 6 foot 6 Chinese Olympic silver medalist who doesn't look that good as a pro and still is undefeated, which is crazy. Um, 22-0 with a draw in an eight-rounder against Craig Lewis, who's 14-4 with a draw. We've got Azinga Fuzil, who's 15-1, coming off that brilliant win last time out when he knocked out Martin J. Ward. Um, 
one of our fighters from over here. He's fighting for the vacant IBF World Super Featherweight title against Kenichi Ogawa, the guy that beat Tevin Farmer. Um, I thought that Tevin Farmer deserved to win, but he beat him. Then he tested positive for steroids or whatever it was. And then they stripped him and it went down as a no contest. And then he went back to Japan. I don't think he even served a ban. He's been winning, winning, winning every fight. Now he's back fighting for the vacant world title over 12 rounds. And the main event, Tiafimo Lopez, friend of the show, 16-0, defending his WBA, WBO, and IBF world lightweight titles against friend of the show from down under, George Cambosos Jr., 19-0, um, holds some good wins on his record, really good fighter, um, sparred Manny Pacquiao about 300 rounds in the wild card, um, he's beaten former world champions like Mickey Bay and Lee Selby. Um, should be a really, 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 really good fight. I'm hoping that, um, you know, that it, that it delivers. I think you have to favour Lopez, despite uh, being quite inactive. Hasn't boxed since that win last time out against Lomachenko. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Lomachenko's had a fight since then against Nakatani. His next fight's already lined up. Um, oh, it's going to be exciting to see Tiafimo again, man. I love watching him fight. But George Cambosos, very confident young guy with a with a you know a beautiful young family, and he believes in himself. Trust me, he really does. He thinks he's going to win. The fight has been postponed about five or six times. It's finally on, and I cannot wait to see it. Um, the final card to mention takes place at the Globe Life Field. I hope it's not really a field. It's going to be on Fight TV. It's in Arlington, Texas. Over here, it's a weird one, but we love weird ones on this show. We've got Kubrat Pulev headlining in Texas, 28-2, and two, in a nine-round fight. Yes, it, I love things like this. Just weird, weird, undescribable, unexplainable situations. Kubrat Pulev in a nine-round fight in a field in Texas against UFC veteran who is 0-1 as a pro, Frank Mir. <laughs> so so all oh. the best to, to, <laughs> to Kubrat. I hope it's in a field. I really do. I hope it's in a field and there's no chairs. They've got a ring made out of, you know, not not that doesn't have a, a soft canvas. It's, it's, I don't know, made out of wood or something like that. And there's no chairs anywhere. Everyone's just standing up. Um, that would be good. I'd like to see that. But yeah, Kubrat Pulev in a nine-rounder against Frank Mir. You couldn't make it up. This is boxing. This is why we love it. But that wraps up, though, the second part of this show. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 319 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest this week, the former British welterweight champion, Mr. Bradley Skeet. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Remember to tell a friend to tell a friend about the podcast. Remember to leave us a review on iTunes if you've got the time. We really do appreciate those, by the way. Remember, if you wish to improve your below-the-waist hygiene, remember to visit www www.manscaped.com because right now they've got a Black Friday sale on so do not miss out on that but that's about everything from myself enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week